is another member of the GB national team and a professional player in the Atlantic League for the Southern Maryland Blue Clock. See, I told you two takes every time. You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. Hello, baseball family. Matthew here with another guest from the GB national team and a professional player in the Atlantic League for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, which is a lot harder to say than you would think. He was born in London and is on track to become the first Indian position player in Major League Baseball history. He's also been described as the hardest working man in professional baseball. It's the one and only Mr. Raul Shah. Raul, how are we doing? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I've listened to the podcast for a while and it really is an honor to be here. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited for our conversation. Me too. And I didn't even have to pay him to say that. He's genuinely excited to be here. He <laughs> told me off air and you'll have to take my word for it. <laughs> so Raul, as, as we like to uh, get started on these on these little journeys, let's find out a little bit about you. For those who didn't hear you on the Batflip and Nerds podcast, which you did an excellent interview with, why don't you tell us a little bit about your home and family life and how you got into baseball and how this journey sort of got you to Division Free Ball? Yeah, so I was born in London. We moved to the States when I think maybe I was like two or three. And I started playing when I was six. My dad introduced me to the game. Very classic story. We used to live in Philadelphia at the time. So I was a huge Phillies fan. I used to watch all those games with him. And I just started playing every day in my backyard. And then one thing sort of led to another. And I just, very cliche, but I fell in love with the game. And every day I would just play and play and play. And next thing you know, I was in high school and I wanted to play in college and professionally and everything. And um, so that was just sort of the, path that I took to get to college was just playing every day and having fun. That's brilliant. Do you have any early memories of going watching the games with your dad? I have one. We went to Veteran Stadium. That was the old Philly Stadium. And I remember the first game that I watched, and it was anytime someone hit a ball in the air, I would just yell home run. That's the only thing that I remember. So um, that's a pretty special moment. But outside of that, you know, I, I would watch games with my dad on the TV and everything and, you know, watch Jimmy Rollins. And I think he was my favorite player growing up um, before I really started watching on my own. And then it became Ichiro. But that was probably the only memory that I have is going to Veterans Stadium. That was the first one. That's really cool. I, I can remember the first time I went to watch Bolton Wonders with my dad and my sister. And it was at the old Burnham Park. It was like in the middle of a housing estate. <laughs> and they can smell like the toilets and the pies and the food. And yeah, like, I just have, when I talk to people about the first games, I get that, that vibe, but like magnified by about a hundred. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. Um, so how did your parents support you through your baseballing journey? What did they do for you? Oh man. In every way, you know, just support and when you have bad games you need a support system you need somebody who you can sort of who who can build you back up because ultimately in baseball or whatever it is you know you're going to get broken apart and that's okay that's what it means when you try something new you put effort in and, and you're going to fail a lot of the time and unfortunately baseball is a sport where you're going to fail a majority of the time so you better have a support system so just from that standpoint they played a huge factor but of course just uh, getting getting me to always go for broke believing in myself financially supporting me i mean every single lane a avenue that was there for them or for them to be there for me they were 
That's really cool. Um, and I'm guessing that your baseball has taken you on many, well, now it's taken you on many an adventure because you've been part of the GB setup and you've done all your traveling and stuff. But what was it like in the early, early days? Did, did you get to go on many adventures through baseball that way? Yeah, baseball has been so great for traveling. I mean, I think everybody should play baseball if they want to see the world or see the states or whatever it is. But ever since a young age, I would do travel baseball. So I went to a lot of different states for that. Then, of course, when you play in college, you're going to a lot of different states. And then when you get to the pros, you get to go to a lot of different states again. And this time you get to go to some bigger cities, too, and even some smaller, lesser known cities that are equally as nice. A really good example is Burlington, Vermont. I got to play there for a couple summers and that was a really great time another sort of um it's still a uh, big city but it's not i think as well known it's not the first city you think of when you think of the united states and that's charlotte north carolina it's another great city we got to have a series there this whole summer so great places in the states and then of course you get to travel a lot abroad you know I, with the gb we were just in germany i'm going to do a little winter league in dubai and then the next part of the world baseball classic is in taiwan from there it's Tokyo. So you get to go to a lot of different places and it's just a blessing to be able to actually see the world and get to do what you love. Not a lot of times in life you get to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So winter ball in Dubai, how's how's baseball developing out there? It's not something that I've uh, I would like to I've not really heard much about baseball. Well, over. I think I think they haven't started their winter league yet. I think they're just doing like a little three week um, series and games. And so I think uh, that's at the end of February. That should be a lot of fun. Most of the guys that I know will do winter leagues in, you know, Venezuela or the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. Personally, I'm not a huge winter league fan. I like to just take a mental break from baseball. And I also like to train to really get in shape for the next season and taking a break from playing games every day, my opinion is a good thing. So I try to stay away from winter ball. Once the season is done, you know, I come home, get back into training, rest, de-stress, you know, and, and just get back rejuvenated for next season. Yeah. That sounds like a fun, a bit of a R and R for yourself. I suppose when you're involved in baseball as much as you are, does it not always like, well, you, you told me a story about how you, uh, you lock yourself in a, in a gym after closing till four o'clock in the morning to do some training if you are eating and breathing and sleeping baseball how hard is it for you to switch off when it comes down to your downtime yeah that was in college i realized early on that our rec center our baseball facility was in the basement and if you could sneak into the rec center before they closed which was midnight then you could go down to the basement and stay indefinitely no one ever really came down there and checked So my freshman year is when I discovered this and I wasn't playing very much that year. So (laughs) we would have double headers and then I would just go to the gym and I would just stay there and train and train and train until about three or 4 a.m. And then I would go back to my dorm and I did this pretty much every single day, um, my freshman and sophomore year of college. To be able to go from that to then switch it off for me is pretty easy. You just, you know, you get to a point where you like want to break. You're not forcing yourself to take one. So it comes sort of naturally. That's cool. So you've been described as well as the hardest working man in professional baseball. What, what gives you that title? What are you doing that's separating you from the other people apart from locking yourself in a, in a gym at all hours of the morning? Well, I, I guess I suppose from working hard, right. Um, you know, it's a title that I take a lot of honor in and, you know, everybody works hard, but you, you sort of up your level of work ethic 
the higher you go, or at least you should. But when I was in high school, you know, I would outwork a lot of my peers and I was getting in shape at a lot much faster rate. And then I got to college and I realized that the same workout routine that I was doing in high school was, I would have been considered a huge slacker when I got to college. So then I started to work even harder and it started in that gym, staying there until 4 a.m. And then you get to the pros and now you're sort of blessed because you don't have to go to, to class anymore. And so you can spend the whole day training. So I would train seven hours a day when I became a pro in the off season. I go to track in the morning from 10 to noon. I go to the gym from noon to two. And then I have baseball at night from seven to 10. And you do this every single day. And once you become, once you get to that sort of uh, level of work ethic and you're at the top, you realize that there's just nobody next to you in terms of how hard they're working. I've played with guys that are way more talented than me. I've never played with a single guy who's ever outworked me. That's really good. That's a great attitude to have. Like I'm, I'm always trying to think of ways to try and install a bit of not work ethic with the little ones. Only five, but you know, just to try and get him to be a bit. Um, how can I describe it? You know, when he's in school and he says he's not enjoying school or whatever, I just tell him to try and take the positives from it, but also try to be the hardest working kid in his class. And if he can come away being knowing that he's, he's worked his best and he's worked his hardest, then he'll have gained something from it all. He'll have benefited in some way. Yeah, and that's such a good you know fatherly advice and suggestion because I can tell you firsthand that you know I've never hit more than 81 miles an hour on a radar gun in my life. And I try really hard. I train in the off-season to actually get my arm strength stronger, but some tools are a little bit more difficult to work on. There's a lot of pride in being an underdog, knowing that, hey – you know, your dad was drafted. You're taller than me. You throw harder than me. You run faster than me. You hit the ball harder than me. And yet I still beat you every single day. And it's just like, you can't take that away from me. Even though I might measure short on every metric and compared to you, it's like the sum of my parts is greater than your whole, you know? So there's a lot of pride in being an underdog and I love it. Every day that I, there's a saying, and, and I almost abide by this. Every day that I get to wake up, I just want to chase number one. That's really cool. And now it's, it's no secret to anyone who knows you or has heard you before that your dream is to become the um, first Indian position player in the MLB. How hard is this for you to achieve? And what are you, are you doing to, to get to that level? Well, it's quite hard. It's hard for anybody, you know, but if you would have asked me when I was playing division three baseball, if I would play in the world baseball classic one day, you know, who would have been the same answer. That's pretty tough, but here we are. So you have to show up every day and just do what you have to do that day, that day. And you'll go from there. And every day you'll get closer and closer and closer. I have full confidence that as long as I keep working at the same pace that I am, I keep improving every single day that we'll get there. It might take a little bit longer, but once we get there, we're going to get there. And we'll be there for good. Awesome. Lovely. Um, you've also had many calls to the Great Britain national team. Do you remember when you first got the call up and, and what that conversation was like? Yeah, actually it was Brad who called me, Brad Marcelino. And, you know, he just said, Hey, you know what, we're, uh, we're getting everything sorted out. And it was rather close to the actual event. Everything was a little bit last minute, but 
you know, we, we had a great conversation on the phone and, and, you know, I told him what an honor it is to be a part of this. And, you know, they were really excited to have me and I was really excited to be there. And it was just a great fit for both of us. And it was just a wonderful blessing there. There's uh, it's hard to put into words, but I remember when I hung up that phone, just having the biggest grin on my face because of like, like I said, to go from division three baseball to then getting a call for the world baseball classic, you have to do a lot of things right to get there. So there was a moment of happiness. Yeah. That's really good. And when you got into the team, the, the world baseball classic, as we all know now, the GB have, have been um, have qualified for 2023. How excited are you and how driven are you to try and make that squad next year? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, it's, it's nothing new. You're always trying to make the next team, right? You're always trying to get better every single day. And you take that mentality every second of training. So that's just very exciting. Like I said, there's that joy of being able to wake up and have something to chase every single morning. You know, some people, they get their rocks off going to nightclubs. Some people get their rocks off uh, doing whatever. But for me, it's being able to wake up every day and have something that's dangling in front of me that I have to try to get closer to um, every single second. So uh, it's going to be great. I think, uh, you know, Great Britain, we, we proved that we have a very, very talented team. They have a great coaching staff. You couldn't ask for better coaching staff. We have a full coaching staff too. You know, we've got, I don't even, I couldn't even, I lost count. I mean, I would I think we have over 10 guys on the coaching staff. Um, so it's just a wonderful organization, great group, great teammates. I even knew a couple of the guys before I got there just from playing professionally. So when you have so many great people in one setting, it's hard to fail. Yeah. Who did you know then when, when you got to the camp? So I knew uh, a few guys. I knew uh, Alex Crosby. I knew Mackenzie Mills and I knew Ken Blackstone. Yeah. Yeah. We were all basically either on the blue crabs at the same time or at one point were. That's cool. So the side of blue crabs is a bit of a, a hot tub for, for GB baseball then. Yeah. I would see funny uh, comments on Twitter saying that, Oh, apparently the GB team is just the blue crabs team or something like that. But <laughs> um, yeah, it just coincidentally worked out that way that there were four of us on this team that were able to uh, qualify. Nice. Um, so you've won quite a few titles throughout your um, short career so far. You've won batting awards. You've won slugger of the year awards. You're involved in three all-star starts. And also two championships. Well, you've like you also said that that could be run up to three if you include the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. Those are some really, really high achievements to win. Which you think was the hardest of them to achieve? I think on a personal level, I would say the batting title was quite difficult. You know, you've got so many players in the league. I mean, you got, you know, I don't know, 150, 200 hitters in the league. So to be the the best just statistically right off the bat, all things excluded is very challenging and you have to play well every single day. And so that was a great honor to have won that batting title. Um, and of course, I mean, the championships are great, right? That's why you play on a team level. I, you know, they were all equally hard to win, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult when you have to bring everybody together to bring, to win one, you know, common goal. So I would say the batting title on a personal level and I pick all championships Know, equally difficult, equally challenging and rewarding on a team level. That's cool. So if we're competition that high, um, who are some of the best players that you've actually seen live? 
Oh man, that's a good question. I haven't been asked that before. I have to probably think about that. You know, in the Atlantic League, just in general, the talent level is really good. The best baseball that I've played was this year, that I've seen was this year. You know, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone in particular, but the game is just so clean at that level. Very few errors get made. The superstar plays are expected of you as they are in the big leagues. The pitchers come in throwing strikes. They got three or four pitches that they can throw for strikes. You're moving the ball around, putting it right off the black. You've got catchers that all have lasers down to second base. I mean, the, the, the game is very good at this level, I would say. And as a whole, I was just extremely impressed by pretty much everybody that I came across. Yeah, that's pretty good. What about some of the best plays that you've, you've actually played with? Because that GB um, pool, there's some very good names in there. Any of those players you add to the mix? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got to give a shout out to, you know, Crosby, my uh, teammate with the Blue Crabs. You know, he's someone that every single day consistently puts great at-bats together. Um, you know, he's a great guy to have the clubhouse. He keeps things really light. Um, I mean, he's just for, I don't even know, for five or six years, he has just played consistently well, a 300 hitter every single year. And that's hard enough to do for one season let alone to, you know, to do it for five in a row. So he's great. You know, I played, um, you know, with some guys on the blue crabs are equally as talented and, you know, on the GB team, like I said, you know, I mean, you could pick any name out of a hat and and they would all be extremely good players. Yeah. It's a great tournament to watch. It was thoroughly, I just recently spoke to Mr. Drew Spencer and, and Jonathan Crammon of the coaching staff and the head coach. And we were yeah, talking about the, yeah, 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 yeah. It's really good, really good chat. Um, yeah, some fantastic, fantastic stories out of there. So what, what are some of your favorite stories from from uh, off the field around the World Baseball Classic? You know, I think the one that really sticks out the most was the day that we arrived in Regensburg to the hotel. It When we got in, there was, you know, sort of this, not panel, but there was these like, uh, there's people from MLB set up and situated in, in a row and you had to get all your credentialing and everything. And I saw like all the decorations that they put up in the hotel. And that was like, I was like, I've arrived. Like, that's what it felt like. It felt very official. It felt like this was the start of something epic. And then throughout the next few days, you know, we would have these team meetings. We'd have MLB was issuing us gear and more and more and more. It just felt like, wow, this is, this is the real deal. Like this is for real. Like this isn't, you know, uh, this is unlike anything I've been a part of. And then you go to the practice field and the moment I laid eyes on it, I was blown away because the field itself was was so crisp. The, the edges on the grass was perfectly manicured. Everything was flat. The dirt was soft, but yet solid. The balls, you go and pick up the bag, you've got all these brand new Major League Baseball pearls. So these sort of things that are, I know you said off the field, you know, but um, that was sort of a practice environment. But these are the moments that I was like, wow, this, it, the, 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 bread, the not bread, the, um, the weight of everything it, it felt very real that's cool you got a little bit of game time as well during the tournament um how how were you before the game how did you how do you stay prepared and focused oh uh, you, you prepare like you always do there's no difference from this game versus any other game so i'm a pretty easy going um warm-up guy i don't ever stretch actually i literally just show up i run a couple sprints take some ground balls take a few uh you know, balls off a of front toss and then I'm good to go. I joke with people, but I'm really not joking that I could get ready in 25 minutes to play a game. Um, I'm not allowed to, I have to show up earlier, but um, yeah, you take the same mentality 
and you just show up and you just trust yourself. That's interesting. I like that you got the same warm-up routine as me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old dad who, who plays occasionally on a Sunday. Well, I love it. We're, me and you are going to get on great. I can see us. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I actually had a, I had a manager tell me years ago, he's like, if you ever want to spot a pitcher who you're going to absolutely destroy, it's the one that gets out there and throws really early. Because the only reason he, anyone would do that is because they're trying to find something. Right. Like they don't trust themselves enough to just go out at a normal time, get ready and play the game. They have to go out early because they're hoping that they can find that release point or find that spot or find that grip. And that's not a confident pitcher. So you can sort of spot guys like that. The guys, the pitchers or the hitters who show up and they're just good to go like that. Those are the guys who are good because you know that they know that they have it. That's good. That's a good tip. Oh, you're writing that one down, kids. You got any other uh, <laughs> tips for the for the youths? Any of the young players that might listen, we do we do get one or two. No, I actually I, I got another one for you. I was asked this on a different podcast. It might have actually been Bath Flips and Nerds, but uh I was telling them that when I'm at second base, I don't think about the game. Like I'm not sitting, like for example, let's say there's nobody out and a guy on first and I'm playing second base. I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, ground ball hit to me, I gotta throw it to second or this or that. I'm probably thinking about what I want to have for dinner that night, what video games I might want to play one day, if I want to get the new Apple watch and people laugh because they think it's funny, but they don't realize you at this point in your career, how many double plays have you turned? Like it's automatic. You don't have to sit there and think, okay, guy on first, nobody out. I got to turn two. like you'll the second, the balls hit you, you're going to do it. So if you can free up your mind and put yourself in a really good headspace and think of things that make you happy or think of things that are fun or something you're looking forward to and almost put the game in perspective that the game is just a small part of your life. It's not everything in your life. Then you're sort of like you're mentally and physically freed up to do extremely well. If you're sitting there thinking about baseball to such a degree in the moment, then you can kind of psych yourself out almost. And it almost has the opposite effect. So that's another tip is just think about other stuff, ironically. That, that's actually quite an interesting point because I, I do fixate a lot when I'm playing, regardless of what, what position I'm playing. I'm sat there, sat there, <clears throat> I'm sat there just expecting the ball to be hit to me. And I'm that focused that I can walk at the end of an inning and just feel like I need to go and have a sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and probably yeah, burn yeah. your brain cells. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's there's a saying, right? Zero percent care is a hundred percent confidence. You almost have to trick yourself into saying into thinking, hey, this is just a game, even though you know it's more than a game. You're trying to win, but you know, you want to put yourself in that kind of a headspace. Yeah, but I think the difference is though that I actually need to be good for so <laughs> I can <laughs> I can get into that good headspace to be able to go, oh. I'm just going to flip a double play right now. Instead of going, ah, the ball's coming right out of my face <laughs> and then freaking out and then actually dropping it and then letting everyone down. Yeah, it definitely takes practice to get there. But then once you get there, then you can kind of, you know, let it let it uh, go on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I say to the GB national team, I won't retire from international baseball. I'm not expecting a call-up, but I'll, uh, I'll keep practicing and keep trying <laughs> to get better. <laughs> Even at the age of 42, I know there's probably people on the GB national team that are older than me, but, you know, I live the dream. That's <laughs> yeah. So can I ask you, with all the traveling you've done and all the baseball you've been around, what are some of the funniest things you've actually seen in baseball? Funniest things? That's a good question. 
you know, outside of the, the typical somebody trips, you know, and you yell sniper. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've seen a lot of, man, I don't know if I've seen anything off the top of my head. That's extremely funny. I think the funniest things are a little bit more low key. I think everybody in the clubhouse sort of has their own personality and their own sense of humor and just their own like vibe. And it's fun because, you know, you'll make fun of someone, they'll make fun of you and you kind of, you know, dish it and take it and give it out and all that kind of stuff. And that's what really is, is sort of the funny part is when you show up at the clubhouse and like the second you step in, it's just, you know, everyone's just kind of cracking jokes at everyone else's expense. Brilliant. Lovely. So within your time in baseball, who would you say would make your Mount Rushmore of, of, of baseball people? Mount Rushmore. That's a good question. You know, I, I got to give number one to Ichiro. It's my favorite player of all time. I think he's the goat. You know, I think there's, there's nobody else like him. You know, you put Derek Jeter in that conversation. You know, I would probably even put, I put Ken Griffey Jr. In that conversation. Um, and man, there's just so many, I mean, you could get Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, you know, it's tough. I, I would go for sure with Ichiro and Derek Jeter though. I think two of the most most iconic players in MLB history. Any coaches that you put on there? You know, I'm not too familiar with, uh, you know, any coaches that were, at least not well enough to say, hey, you know, I think they're some of the greatest of all time. How about then if we make it personal to you, who would make your own personal um, Mount Rushmore baseball people? So it could be um, players that you played with alongside, coaches that you helped you along the way, or any other influential figures. Yeah, I would definitely put uh, my high school coach up there. He's always been very supportive to me. You know, I would put uh, my trainer, my track coach up there. He's been with me for five, six years. I'd put my hitting coach, John Sangio, up there. John Stevens is another hitting coach. And I put all four of those guys, you know, up there. Because, you know, I, I tell people that you know, if I win an award, it's it's really your award. Like I'm just a reflection of the things that you taught me. If you didn't teach me that stuff, I wouldn't have been able to win that award. So without the help of those four and, you know, my parents and friends and everything, I mean, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in. So. What a beautiful sentiment. Absolutely. I think that's going to be the trailer for the, uh, for the episode. That'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know it. Um, so let's have a bit of fun then. I want to try and do something a bit new, but I can hear the listeners now freaking out whenever I try and do something new. It's always going to end in disaster. But we we have pre-scripted. Anyone think this is pre-planned? <laughs> off off camera, we sort of. I ask you a question. I want you to tell me two truths and a lie, and I'm going to see if I can find out which is which, and then hopefully we can get some more cool stories off the back of it. Okay, let's do it. So, uh, okay, so number one, I was asked to be on the Bachelorette. Number two, I have actually had lunch with Steph Curry. Number three, I was detained in a legal country because they thought I was a drug dealer. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I thought about this last <laughs> night. I come up with good ones. So these are, yeah, so good luck. What a great way to start. Right. Bachelorette. Well, you're a handsome chap. I could, I could see you on The Bachelorette. Okay. Having lunch with Steph Curry. I don't know how I would be if that even came close to happening to me. Mm -hmm. Being detained for being a drug dealer. Do you know what? I'm going to go with the lie. I I really want you to have had lunch with Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with that you were 
the lie being that you detained. You sound too nice a guy. That is incorrect. Oh, no. That's the truth, actually. You want to try again? Now you got a 50-50 shot. Oh, uh, bachelorette then, being the lie. No, that's oh, awesome. Dude. <laughs> yeah, the Steph Curry is the lie. I've never met him before. It would be good, though. I'm sure. Yeah, he seems like a great guy. I'm sure if you know if I had a chance to have lunch with him, it'd be a lot of fun. But no, I've I've never seen him in real life ever. Would you take Steph Curry for a curry? Yeah, I probably would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet he's never heard that before. So, so how did you get approached to be in a bachelorette then? I don't know. I've never seen the TV show, and I don't like reality TV. Um, but uh, some casting producer gave me a phone call once and then she sent me an email afterward and saying hey we got a nomination for you on our website we'd like to you know talk to you and interview you and and, and stuff like that and i really didn't have an interest in, in doing it and i had a baseball season to play anyway this was like last december so and i like i said i'd never seen the show before so i i didn't do that but um i just thought that was sort of an interesting fun fact that is pretty cool so it wasn't even like a, th th there's no like sliding doors moment where you're now some really obscure like weird reality tv star in all these different like in a jungle somewhere and in some random house eating i don't know donkeys private parts no that's all true it was all, always going to be baseball for you yeah 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 no oh yeah yeah um no i would never do any of that do, do, do you ever think there's the go on, go on. i no, no no i i yeah i like i said i i you know, that, that version of me might be out there in some alternate universe, but, uh, you know, I, I politely told them, Hey, you know what? I'm very grateful, but I got a baseball season to play, but you know, um, wish you the best of luck. Hey man, that version of you, I mean, lunch with Steph Curry right now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so how, how did you get detained? That oh, yeah. absolutely no, terrifying. Yeah, it was, uh, I was coming through the U S Canada border from Canada, uh, to the U S and it's sort of a very series of unfortunate events type of circumstance. But basically, I was spending some time in Canada. And at the time, I didn't have international uh, plan on my phone. So I had two phones. Um, so I, I get to the border. This is this is important. You'll see why in a second. But I get to the border. And for some reason, they they said, hey, we need to we need to, uh, you to step aside. We need to check your car. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I have no clue at the time. I found out later. But anyway, then I went and I get you know got out of my car and i go inside and next thing i know they're they're just taking my car apart they're just looking through everything inside my car and i'm just sitting there for like hours and then ultimately one of the officers comes back inside and he puts down all this stuff on the table and they the few of the officers that are here that are around me they look at me and they go explain to us why you have two phones and so i told them well look one phone is the one that i use and the other one is just a, a burner phone because i don't have international roaming and so then they said okay can you explain what this is? And it was a post-it note with a first name and a phone number. And that was actually um, a buddy, long story short, there was a buddy of mine who had another friend that I had to get in touch with. He just wrote it on a post-it note. But to them, it looked like it was like a drug dealer's name and number or something and two phones. And then after that, they uh, pulled out this little uh, envelope that I had. And it had uh, like $1,000 of $20 bills in all sequential order. And there's like, where, they, where did you get this from? And I said, look, my dad gives me money when I go, you know, on, to foreign countries in case anything's ha anything happens. He just got it from the bank. And then on the note, it said, actually on the envelope, I thought it was funny. I put, don't look in here. There's no money before I left on my trip. <laughs> 
And they, so they were like, why did you write this here? And I, you know, I just, I just have a sense of humor. I just thought it was funny. I didn't anticipate getting detained for something like this. And then they went, uh, they pulled out all these like uh, prescription drugs and they're like, can you explain these drugs? Can you show us the prescription with your name on it? And I said, look, my dad is a physician. He gives me stuff like, you know, like antibiotics. It's nothing illegal yeah. here. It's just over the counter stuff in case I were to get sick, you know, then I have something to take care of me. And so, uh, all of this was my answers, just genuine, honest answers. And they weren't believing me. So they kept me there for hours and hours and hours. And ultimately, finally, I don't know what changed, but then they let me go. And I asked them in the first place, I said, why did you even stop me? And their response was, well, we just thought you, uh, sounded suspicious when we asked like the questions when you were at the border, when I was in my car, and I was like, this is ridiculous. And at the time, I, I mean, I was like 24, I had like a Hopkins baseball shirt on. I look like I do now. Like I like I don't I'm not a drug dealer, you know? Like but anyway, so they they kept me there for a long time. That's mental. Oh, I'm glad you can laugh at you now. Well, that sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I wasn't too worried. I was like, there's nothing here that's bad. I there can't do anything to me other than waste my time. But it was just a it was just a hassle. <laughs> that's nuts. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad we decided to debut that set of questions. And <laughs> thanks for calling from absolute carcass. Right, next <laughs> guess I've got some some to top on that one. Uh, brilliant. Well, Raul, unfortunately, that is all that we've got time for. So it is tradition for the guest to have the last say on the... Oh, do you know what? Before we do that bit, I have one more question for you. Um, what are you grateful to baseball for? Like, what has the, what has the game given to you? That's a, that's a great question. Baseball has taught me more about life than I could have ever learned without it everything from when you're a kid, all the life lessons you learn to get back up when you fail, to work in teams, to achieve goals, to be disciplined, to just go out there and have fun and be a kid. Every single life lesson that I learned, I learned from baseball and I can take that and I can go wherever I want in the world with that knowledge. So baseball gave me way more than I can ever ask for in that regard. That's brilliant. And as I sort of bumbled my way through there before that asked question, the final word is to the guests. So, Real Shah, thank you for being a fantastic guest, and the floor is all yours. Take it away. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It really was an honor. It was a pleasure. You know, I've been listening to your podcast, like I said at the start, so to finally be on it was, was really special, and I'll always remember this, and I can't wait to hear it live, So, or hear it uh, on the air. So thank you so much. Well, I'm, 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 I'm honored that you use your final word as a guest to give me a bit of love. That's very, very kind of you. But yeah, uh, Ralph, thanks for this. This has been absolutely fantastic. And again, thank you for reaching out um, to, to come on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I cannot wait to uh, to get this out there to the, to the public to listen to. Yeah, thank you again. I appreciate it. Yeah.